What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Recently, maybe you've been on YouTube and you've seen all the, the videos and you've seen all of the, the latest and greatest ideas about what it means to abandon the American dream for another kind of dream. That is, to abandon the American nightmare of a high mortgage and, and to be tied down by all the bills associated with the house to go and buy a van and turn it into your home. Maybe you've seen the videos and the shows of people going and buying these beat-up old buses and turning them into a, a house to live in on wheels. Maybe you've seen some of the more luxurious ones going to like Mercedes-Benz and buying the Sprinter and turning the back of the Sprinter into a home on wheels. These people are seeking to live more of a nomadic lifestyle. That is, they work from home or they work online and they can work from anywhere and they get a Planet Fitness membership and that's where they take a shower. I don't know, maybe you've never heard of this before, but maybe you can go home this afternoon and look at some of these videos, but, but it's all over the world. It's in Australia, it's in Europe, and it's even here in America. You'll even see these vans parked in, in, a, in a weird place in Roanoke, and you'll realize you look a little closer, and it's not a contractor's van. It's a home. And I say that to say this. That as we think about van life or about camper life, that's the life that Abraham was called to. Abraham was called to leave everything that he ever thought about life, to leave his home, to leave his family, to leave his country, to leave his job if he had one, to leave everything and abandon it all for the call that God placed on his life. And today I want to talk to you about the faith of Abraham. And this is part one. Next week, we're going to look at the faith of Sarah. And then we're going to have two more messages about the faith of Abraham. Because it's interesting. If you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11, you will obviously observe that Abraham is given more attention than any other character in Hebrews chapter 11. And so far, we've looked at the idea of faith of creation, that we have to believe by faith God created the world, that that we looked at Abel, how he by faith came to God, God's way through worship. We looked at the faith of Enoch, how Enoch walked with God by faith. We looked at the faith of Noah, how Noah was a man who persisted and lived by faith in a unique way with obedience. But today, my friends, as I've been studying Abraham's life and and really meditating in verses 8 all the way down to verse 19 but specifically today verses 8 9 and 10 I thought about this radical faith I mean that's radical we talk about living a radical sold out life for Jesus but hey imagine selling everything you own going to Walmart and buying a tent and going to a place that you don't even know where you're going that you don't even know what land you're going to obtain and possess. And then just going by faith. 
today, if I could elaborate on radical faith, I, ha I have something I want to share with you that kind of summarizes Abraham's life and this concept of radical faith. Radical faith believes the incomprehensible, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, touches the intangible, and does the impossible. My friends, that's what we observe, that's what we see in the life of Abraham. He had faith to believe something he could not explain. He had faith to see something he could not see. He had faith to hear something that we cannot hear like he heard in that day. He had faith to touch something he could not touch. And he had faith to do what seemed to be impossible to do. Sometimes we sit back and we say, well, I have faith in Christ. I have faith that the Bible is the word of God. But I'm afraid that the reality is, is we don't have this kind of radical commitment to Christ. We don't have this radical faith concept that, that I'm going to believe things, even though I don't understand them, I'm still going to stand for sure on them. That even though I can't see into the future, God has called me to do this, and I don't care what anybody says around me, I'm going to do it. Radical faith believes the incomprehensible. Radical faith sees the invisible. Radical faith hears the inaudible. Radical faith touches the intangible and does the impossible. Listen, do you have radical faith today? I, I'm, I'm afraid that, that all of these characters in Hebrews chapter 11, they, they exemplify faith in a unique way. And Abraham's is telling us that when you come to faith and believing that the Messiah is who exactly the Old Testament prophets predicted and in the form of Jesus is that one, that you're going to abandon everything that you've ever thought of in this life. That you're going to abandon the concept of the American dream. That you're going to abandon everything that you've ever thought about life and live in a way that honors, pleases, and glorifies God. So here's a question I want to ask you. How do you know if you have radical faith? I mean, that's, it's a pretty big commitment that Abraham is setting the stage. I mean, imagine being promised a nation that will be so vast that the sand on the seashore does not compare to the amount of people that will be in your nation. That the stars in the galaxies and in the universe does not compare to the number that your nation will be. And here you are. You are 75 years old. You are married. And you have no children. And you're promised a son. A unique son. Not his necessarily only son that he would ever have, but a unique son for a unique purpose to carry the lineage of the Messiah. He promised a nation, promised a son, and promised a land. The, 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 the craziest part about the life of Abraham is, we'll get into this a little bit more, but, but Abraham leaves his home country in Haran, and he's from the year of the Chaldees, probably most likely in the Babylonian area that we think of, somewhere in that region, and he travels afar to come to this land of promise, Israel, or Jerusalem, if you will, and, and, and he goes there, and he builds his tent, his tabernacle, and he claims this land, but he never sees it to ever be his own, although he did own a portion of it, but the only thing he owned 
was a place to bury his wife. Then his son and his grandson lived the same way without ever seeing the fruition of the promises God gave to him. And that being said, I want to share with you today three thoughts about how you can know if you have radical faith. And it's a little bit more simple than you might think. But from verse number eight, the first thought I want to share with you is this. Radical faith will always produce obedience to God. Radical faith will always produce obedience to God. Radical faith does not mean that you're going to have a worship service that lasts for 500 million hours. That just continues to last and last and last and last and last. It doesn't mean you're going to have church services every morning, every afternoon, and every evening for 300 years. It's not what it means. Radical faith, that is if you've experienced true faith, if you've experienced a reviving and awakening by God, it's going to produce obedience in your life. And listen, I believe firmly that according to Joshua chapter 24, you can go check it out there where it speaks about Abraham and his father and and that culture, how they were idolaters. I believe firmly that before God came to him when he was 75 years of age, that for the vast majority of Abraham's life, he lived an idolater. He worshiped all the pagan and heathen gods of his day. Perhaps he was one who would help build those ancient ziggurats or that kind of pyramid-like structure. And there they would worship all these gods Abraham sacrificed to those gods. But then God steps in, verse number 8. The Bible says, by faith, this conviction of God showing up and reminding us that we have total dependence and reliance upon him for everything. And Abraham, here he believes God. And the Bible says it is accounted to him for righteousness because of his faith. And then it says, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. Radical faith will always produce obedience to God. But as I think about this first part of the, the verse... I want to zoom in and focus on the word called. Would you say called with me? Called. Say it again. Called. Consider this. Obey God when he calls you to go. Obey God when he calls you to go. I'm inspired by the life of Abraham. Because Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. There's this stigma in our culture today that after you turn a certain age, you just need to pack up your bags and move into the nursing home because you are no use and no good for culture and society or even the church. But I submit to you today that even if you're in your 70s, 80s, and 90s, God can still have a great purpose for you in your life. You don't have to be a teenager. You don't have to be in your 20s or 30s or 40s. God can use you at any stage of your life. And today, whatever God is nudging you and pushing you and calling you to do, I submit to you, do it. If you're here today and you're younger and God is calling you, it's awesome. Serve God when he calls you to serve him. This idea of a call, it's this idea of a divine summoning from God. There's certain things that, listen, I mean, listen, I get it, you know, we're Baptist and we have our certain aspect of church government, but, but I'm in here to tell you something, the world can die and go to hell before we'll ever get together and have enough meetings to decide what we're going to do about it. 
So if God is really calling you to do something, you don't have to wait on a business meeting to do it. Just get out there and do it. Obey God when he calls you to go. That's radical faith, man. Then consider this. Not only when he calls you to go obey, but obey God where he calls you to go. Not just when, but also where. I mean, imagine if God is stirring in your heart or my heart to pack up our bags and, and move to another state or, or another country. And then we begin to think, I mean, just think about Abraham. Here he is, he's 75 years old and 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 and. and God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and, and makes him these promises. And, and it's interesting because Abraham, at least in the scripture, it doesn't say that, that he listed out all of his reasons why he could not do what God was calling him to do. He just did. So many times in my life and your life, we are so guilty to be like, well, God, uh, you know, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go except all these places. <laughs> God, if you, if you want me to go to Hawaii, I will gladly go. <laughs> but I'm not going to go to the Bronx. No way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely not going to Maine or to Minnesota or to Wisconsin. I mean, it snows there. <laughs> you kidding me? It's cold there. It's chilly. Abraham, 75 years old, leaves and goes where God calls him to go. But then consider this. Not just about when and where, but it's also about how. Obey God how he calls you to go. Now, I'm not going to say that God is telling you right now today that you need to sell your home or homes or whatever you own or whatever you're living in and then go to the, the, the camper world or Gander Mountain or whatever the place is called. I don't even know these days. Uh, or go to the place and buy a camper and just live in that. And travel all over the world. Now, now, maybe God is calling you to do that. And if he is, it's great. Do it. But God can call you in other ways. Here, it, it, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. This, this idea of obedience, it means that we are going to put ourselves in subjection to somebody or something else. And that's what Abraham did. He subjected and submitted himself to the call that God placed on his life. And then it says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And the, the, the Bible goes on to tell us here and, and, and in Genesis that he lived as a nomad and he lived in this tabernacle or this tent-like structure. And there, I mean, if you could just imagine... Um, here we are at the campground and we get on our hands and knees and we get our little hammer and we have our stake and we're driving in that stake into the ground that has a string attached to it that's holding the tent in place. And so every single time Abraham took that hammer and drove that stake into the ground, he was reminding himself, I'm going to obey God. Every single time he, he set up that tent, segregated the rooms inside that tent, every single time they... they rolled it up and put it on the camel's back or the horse's back or whatever animal they had uh, or whatever it was, a carriage. Every single time, he was telling God, I 
obey you. How about that? Every single time you are studying for a lesson, God has allowed you to teach. Every single time you open up the Bible and you're reading and you're meditating and you're, you're allowing that passage to be marinated in your soul, you're obeying God. Every single time you get into that closet and you say, God, can you stir me and help me and give me the power that I need to deliver this lesson or deliver this message, you are obeying God. Every single time that, that you are serving in a place in the ministry here that, that God is allowing you to serve in, you are obeying God. Today, radical faith is not as complex as we think it is. It is just obedience to God. So I wonder, will you obey God when he calls you? Will you obey God when he calls you, where he calls you, and how he calls you? Radical faith believes the incomprehensible, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, touches the intangible, and does the impossible. May I now draw your attention to verse 9? In verse 9, we see secondly today of how you know you have radical faith. It's not just obedience to God, but secondly, radical faith will always produce dependence upon God. Radical faith will always produce dependence upon God. I, I love the concept of the writer of Hebrews, as every single time he says by faith, it is a transition. And here in Abraham's case, it's a minor transition still being focused on the idea of Abraham. In verse 8, it said, by faith Abraham, when he is called, he went and he obeyed. But now it says in verse number 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Radical faith will always produce dependence upon God. As I've been pondering upon this chapter, faith, a simple definition is belief in God. Sure, belief, faith, synonyms, if you will, and trust. A more de uh, elaborated definition is faith is the belief that you will rely and depend upon God in all things. And that's faith. And today as we look at Abraham, Abraham is depending on God. Listen, Abraham didn't have, he didn't have, uh, I'll go back in time. I will, I'll go back in time. A map. Didn't have the old school map. How in the world would you travel from Virginia to Oregon Without a GPS, I have no idea. I guess you had to get out the map. And the, 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 the craziest thing for me to ponder is like, sure, it's easy when you're driving through this long stretch in Wyoming or Montana where, you know, you don't even need to touch the steering wheel. It's just straight and you're 80 miles an hour and just drive itself. But, but when you get into a big city and you have all these different intersections and, and turns and you're like, where? Do and you're looking at a map and it's like, Wow. I mean, how many wrong turns does somebody make back in the 40s when they're trying to drive from coast to coast? I mean, who knows? But then, as we think about this device that I hold in my hand called a phone, this GPS, GPS will never lead you astray. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
You remember that, 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 that website called MapQuest? People actually still use that to my surprise today. But back in the day when we would go on trips as, as I was a teenager, we would print off the directions to get there and then we had to print off the directions on how to get back. Because if we got there, we'd be no way we could read those directions backwards. <laughs> today we just type in the address in, in, in Apple or Google and, and, and it just leads us right away. Or I can say, hey, so whatever device you have, give me directions to such and such place. Well, well, Abraham was depending totally on God in this re- reality. His direction was each step of his life was upon God. And here, this, this idea in the first part here, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. As I meditate in that, I, I consider this. Depend on God for assurance. Listen, when God called Abraham every single time, I'm sure that when he left, you can only imagine all the religious people of his day were like, oh, you're going to believe what? One God? Only one God? You've lost your mind. There's a God for the sea and a God for the sky and a God for the sun and a God for the moon and a God for this and a God for that. And he says, no, I have received word from the one God, Jehovah. And I'm going to sacrifice to him and him alone. And then he leaves. And they're just probably, I mean, I'm just reading between the lines here. I mean, it could be possible they're scoffing him and making fun of him and ridiculing him as he's leaving. He didn't have a send-off party, man. At least the Bible doesn't say it. He had a get-out-of-town party, man. You know what I'm saying? The difference is they're not sending him off with a blessing. They're kicking him out with a cursing. And every single step, he had to be assured that he was depending on God. This idea of sojourning, it means you're dwelling in a land that is not your home country and you are an alien. And no, I'm not talking about, you know, the alien from Mars. I'm talking about a foreigner, somebody from another country coming in to live in another country as if it is their country. And that's exactly what Abraham was doing here. But this is no ordinary land here. It's not America. As great of a land this is, this is called the land of promise. And all that means is that this is the territory and region in which God promised to Abraham and his descendants to have. And he had the assurance in God. Today, as I read verse 9, I'm mindful of how so many times I look like an alien to this culture. So many times you look like an alien from Mars, from this culture. We look like we are green Martians to this culture because in the way that we live. We believe that Scripture is authoritative, that the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that Christ and the cross 2,000 years ago paid the penalty for mankind's sins. And by faith, we can entrust in what he did there. And in his resurrection, we can overcome death, hell, and the grave. And we don't have to work our way to heaven. It's all by faith alone in Christ alone. And our culture says, no way. There has to be something that I can do to get there, or they just deny it's even, even in existence. So I am assured based upon this book right here. Because God's word has said it. Just like Abraham depended upon God's word for his assurance, I depend on this book right here for my assurance of a heavenly country in the eternity realm. And today, we know that the world might look at you, might look at me, might look at us, and call us strange. But we know one day, they will be the strange ones. 
The verse goes on to say, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. Depend upon God, not just for assurance, but also for residence. Today, I am a United States citizen. I was born into this country, so I didn't have to travel over here from afar and go through the process of naturalization and go into the court and be naturalized as a citizen of this country. I was born here. It's my residence, if you will. But I, as much as I'm thankful to be a citizen of this nation, I am a citizen of a greater country, of a greater town, if you will, of a greater place, and it is called heaven. And I've never seen it. I can't scientifically explain it to you. All I can do is believe it by faith because I have entrusted what God's word says about it. And today I, just like Abraham, depended upon God. To, there he is. He's parking his carriage and his horses and his camels and his whole clan with them. He's parking it there. And he says, this is my residence. By faith, I believe it. And listen, by faith, I believe my residence is in a greater country called heaven. By faith. Then the last part of the verse goes on to say, well, actually, let's pause here. Isaac and Jacob. So obviously, Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Later, we'll read about the great sacrificial faith that Abraham had with his son. But then it speaks about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and he lived to see them both. But the only promise, to my knowledge, that they all lived to see was that Abraham was promised a son. They did not live in the promise of that big land that they were assured of. They did not live in the promise that this nation would be vast. In fact, they had to go to Egypt for help. And Joseph rescued them. All this is reminding us that God might promise us things that we will not see in our lifetime. You might have to pray for 30, 40 years as a Christian, for your relatives, for your son or your daughter or your grandchildren to come to faith in Christ. And you might die and walk through the doorway of death and your body be placed in that cemetery before the promises of God will ever come to fruition. But I'm here to tell you something. If God has promised it in his word, it will come to pass. But then it says, the heirs of him of the same promise. Depend upon God for assurance, for a residence, but also for an inheritance. Depend upon God for an inheritance. This inheritance is far greater than what your grandmother might leave you, or your grandfather, or your father or your mother might leave you, or what you might leave to somebody else. This inheritance is eternal life. Obviously, we know this inheritance that God was giving him was this promise of a land that God will eventually give and put in place, and we'll see in the millennium of all these different things that God has promised to Israel will come to pass, even though some of them have not come to pass just yet. Then, this idea, well, we already seen this big nation, Israel. It's a vast nation. And it all stemmed from Abraham and Sarah. We've seen that. We've seen the promise of his son, how through that son, through Isaac, would the seed be called of the Messiah. And now, because of the Messiah, Christ's sacrifice, we can depend upon God to give us a greater inheritance than anything in this world has ever given to us. And we possess. We possess that eternal life. The word inheritance, it literally means to be a possessor of something you do not own that somebody else gave you and you didn't do anything for it. 
And I'm thankful today I have that by faith. Depend upon God. Obey God. That's radical faith. It's obedience and dependence on God. Radical faith believes the incomprehensible, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, touches the intangible. Hears the inaudible, sees the invisible, believes the incomprehensible, but it also does the impossible. How do you know you have this faith? Well, we've looked at two aspects of it, but now I want to draw your attention to verse 10 and share with you thirdly and finally. It's not just about obedience to God and dependence on God, but here's probably the most important aspect about Abraham's life that we often fail to see. Radical faith will always produce patience for God. Radical faith will always produce patience for God. This, in fact, is a fruit of the Spirit. This, in fact, patience is, in fact, the characteristic and the attribute of not just God, but everybody who calls God their God. If you're a son or a daughter of the Most High, then you will have patience as an attribute and byproduct of your life. Now, you may not have that 100% every single second of every single moment of every single day and every single week and every single month and every single year of your life. But as a whole... You will, you will be patient. We will be patient to wait upon the promises God has given to us. Look at verse number 10. It says, for he looked for a city. Would you say the word looked with me? Looked. Say it again. Looked. One more time, please. Looked. This word looked, it, get, it goes far beyond the idea of I got my binoculars out and I'm looking in to uh, the vast openness of the world. It actually literally means to await and, and expect and anticipate and be confident in the promises that God has given. For he looked for a city which hath foundations. Consider this. Patiently wait on God who is the heavenly foundation layer. If you try to build a barn or if you try to build a house or if you try to build a shed, I'm not an expert. But I know that you don't start with the shingles and work your way down. Yeah, <laughs> it's not rocket science, man. <laughs> we can all figure that out. <laughs> I mean, just imagine if you tried to build a house starting with the shingles. <laughs> that would not be good. But I, I know that you've got to start with digging into the ground and making sure that foundation is solid. I mean, you don't want one side of the house two feet higher than the other side of the house because then your house would be a little crooked and then you would have to walk like this everywhere you went in the house. I mean, imagine sleeping in that bed. You couldn't do it. Here, the Bible says, I, I love verse 10 because it's emphasizing Abraham's faith is that he's looking ahead for what God has promised, but he has patience and he's waiting for him. The idea of wait today is that, well, man, gosh, man, it's taking forever. Come on, these drive through employees at McDonald's. I mean, this is called fast food. It should be fast food for a reason. Huh. My instant oatmeal is no longer instant. It takes a whole minute. I have to like actually get the oatmeal out of the cabinet, open up the, the package, pour it in the bowl, and pour the milk in, and put it in the microwave for a whole minute. I mean, come on. With all the technology we have, I should be able to snap my fingers and it's feed me. 
Patient in our culture, it's this idea that we have to sit down and we twiddle our thumbs and we're waiting and just killing time. But that's really not what waiting means in Scripture. It means that you're, you are waiting and you're resting in the promises of God, but you're also working in anticipation that God is going to give you something in the future. Redeeming time. Making the most of time. And as we look to the future, we know that God has began a process and preparing us a place, as he said in John 14, and it begins with the foundation. He's the foundation layer of heaven. I believe verse number 10 is pointing us to this concept of the New Jerusalem. Now listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm an expert on the New Jerusalem because listen, if anybody stands up here and tells you they know everything about the New Jerusalem in eternity, they, they don't. When we get to heaven, we'll be surprised about what God did not reveal to us about the eternal state and what he said in his word. And today I'm excited about that. But what I know for sure is God is laying the foundation right now. And that foundation is upon none other than his son, Jesus Christ. Remember what the Old Testament says? I believe it's the psalmist. He said, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you're trying to stand on anything outside of Jesus Christ for your foundation, you will not stand when the storms hit. You will not be able to swim when the sea rages. Patiently wait on God who is the heavenly foundation layer. But then consider this as we move forward here in our verse. It says, whose builder, would you say builder with me? Builder. Say it again, builder. Now listen, I'm no greek scholar by any way shape or form but what people who know more about that language than i do they say that this word gives the idea of somebody who is an artisan and a craftsman a builder patiently wait on god who is the heavenly construction designer some scholars even go in and say it gives the idea that he is the architect who is designing every single part of the new Jerusalem in heaven. That's encouraging. Because every now and then, every now and then, I'm not saying it happens a lot, but, but every now and then somebody goose up in their engineering and design work on a building, and they didn't account for this little aspect right here, and, and the building might not withstand an earthquake. I mean, it happens. Or every now and then that bridge, even though they walk in there and just... It ain't going nowhere. And then the car drives over it and it just falls and tumbles down. Yeah. It happens. Even the best of men are men at best, right? But God, in his design, everything about heaven, everything about the New Jerusalem, everything about eternity will be flawless and perfect, even to the minutest detail. Because he's the architect. He's the engineer, he's the designer, he's the builder. But then check it out now. The Bible goes on to say here, and maker is God. So Abraham is looking for this city. He's looking for this promise. He's looking and he's searching and he's waiting and he's trusting and he's resting in God's promise. But he's, he's looking for this place that, that the foundation was laid by God, that the building was built by God and it was made by God. Maker. Would you say that word with me? Maker. Say it again. Maker. Pray, patiently wait on God, who is the heavenly creation maker. This word maker, it gives the idea of a mechanic. Now listen, the other week I decided I wanted to go to the Asbury Revival. And 
the only way I could do it is if I drew, drove in the afternoon, went through the evening service, and then drove back, through, drove back through the night. And I'm no mechanic. And listen, my car, it's not a brand new car. It's not. And so when I'm driving, I, I was on the West Virginia Turnpike, and, and there the notification said engine reserve power mode. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. And when I started pressing that gas pedal, it wouldn't let me go more than 35 miles an hour. So here I am on the interstate going 75, 75 miles an hour is the speed limit. And here I am going 35 miles an hour tops. And so I, by the grace of God, a mile later was a, was a rest area. And so I just kind of zoom in there. And, and here I'm like thinking, oh, man, oh, man. I'm supposed to change my oil every three to 5,000 miles, and I just crossed over 5,000. Oh, man, this is not good. This is not good. I've done blue it this time. And so I pop the hood up, and, and I'm no mechanic. I didn't see any smoke. I went to my trunk, and, and I know you, you think, well, Brian, why would you go to the trunk to see the battery? Well, actually, I, I have evidence. I'll take you to my cobalt. The battery's in the trunk. Um, I'm not crazy. So I looked it up, and everything seemed to be right, and I just waited there for 30 minutes. It's 1.30 in the morning. Well, I can't really call my dad. Uh, he really wouldn't like me for that one. <laughs> so I just sat there, and I turned the engine on, started up, ran fine, and... Two hours later, I'm passing this tractor trailer. There's a car behind me, and it did it again. And two more times in the night, it did that. And by God's grace, I finally made it home. But I share that story to say this. That the idea here of this word maker, it gives the idea a worker for the people, literally a mechanic. And so a mechanic is somebody who works on a car so that the people who own the car can drive the car in a reliable way. And so God, when we think about heaven, God is not just the architect and the engineer and the one who lays the foundation. He's the one keeping it all together so that his people can live eternally with him in great peace and consolation and comfort. Today, my friends, if you want radical faith, you're going to have patience. Listen, I know our world is getting worse, it seems like. We got to have patience and trust the promises of God that he is going to return in his timing. We've got to depend upon him, and we have to obey him. Listen, radical faith believes the incomprehensible. It sees the invincible. It sees the invisible. It hears the inaudible. It touches the intangible, and it does the impossible. But listen, imagine. Imagine you came across the, the deal of the century in real estate, and somebody was going to gift you the entire state of New Jersey. Now, I know you're probably thinking, that doesn't sound like a deal to me. But, <laughs> but imagine it is a deal. It is. You get all this land, but you have to do these things. Number one, you have to move there, leaving everything and everyone behind. Number two, you have to live in a tent for the rest of your life. Then your children and grandchildren have to also live in a tent the rest of their lives. Number three, the only land you can purchase are burial plots in the cemetery. And the last one, you will live as a stranger and a foreigner, and a nomad. But one day, your descendants is going to receive that land. Would you go? No way I wouldn't go. Not that I'm against New Jersey, but I'm against the, the process in which I can obtain that because in my lifetime, in fact, my grandchildren, I'll be dead and long gone before anybody ever gets that land. But the reality is, is Abraham said yes to God when the fact is, is I probably would have said no.
Radical faith always produces patience for God, dependence on God, and obedience to God. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.